Uh, it's an honor to have you with us today. We're going to be in Genesis 32. We're in a series, this is week two, it's called Storyline. We're talking about kind of these collisions where God has uh, interactions with His people. And so last week, of course, we, we went to where it all begins, that's creation. That's God making a decision that He wants to relate. Uh, like uh, a parent who decides that they want to become a parent, and that so they, they do what you need to do to become a parent, and then uh, here comes a kid, they're making a decision in the act of becoming parents that says, I'm not just willing uh, to wave to this kid or whatever, I'm committing myself to relating to this child. And so when God creates humankind, He makes that decision, even though He knows that we're not going to live up to our end of the deal, that we're not going to be able to, uh, to, to, to keep Him from heartbreak. We're not going to always honor Him. We're going to often rebel. We're going to sin. We're going to do these things. But God, nevertheless, because of His great love for us, decides that He's going to bring us all into being. And so He does that. Each of us, we talked about last week, handcrafted by the Maker Himself, bearing the image of God. And that, that's a demonstration of, of what, how much God loves us, how much He loves the earth, how much He loves um, this particular story that He's writing. Now, that story we talked about, picture it like a, a God's actual story has no beginning or end. So, uh, my story has an end, or it will eventually. It started on earth, at least, somewhere around October 14th, 1975, when I was born, 6.38 p.m., Tuesday night, I think. It was back to school night. My dad was a teacher. That's how I remember. Uh, and that's when it started. But if you picture the story of God as something that's always been and always will be, picture it like a rope. We talked about this last week that runs from that side of the stage all the way to this side of the stage, all the way through backstage, all the way down the kids' wing, up the second floor, third floor, all the way off the edge of the Grand, down Grand Avenue, all the way to the 15 freeway, all the way north of there, all the way past Vegas, all the way past wherever it goes from there. Uh, and, and my life would be a little mark on the rope with a sharpie. That's Tim. Boom. But God's story, when we read the Scriptures, we're not reading God's whole story. Any more than when I read the Gospel of Matthew, I'm reading all about Jesus. Jesus has always been. Jesus always will be. And that's kind of humbling because it makes me realize, hey, I don't, you know, my life in one way is not as important as maybe I think it is. On the other hand, what I hear God say is my life is a lot more important than I often think it is. Today, we're going to learn something else, and it's this, that strength comes from struggle. Strength comes from struggle. Now, uh, we here in the United States, we, uh, we don't like struggle. If I gave you a pick and I said, all right, I will get you a gift certificate to one of two things. This is a gift certificate to the day spa. You can go, they will give you a massage. If you want a manicure and pedicure and facial or whatever, they will give you one of those. Uh, they will make you feel like a queen or a king. When you come out, your skin will glow. You'll sit in the hot tub all day or in the mineral springs or in the steam room or in the sauna or the, whatever it is that you want to do. You can backstroke through the pool all day long. You can just feel great. By the time you come home, they'll put you in a robe or something like that that you can snuggle up in, maybe take a little bit of a nap. And when you leave, you're going to feel fantastic. So that's one. Here's the other one. This is a gift certificate to a fist fight, uh, a wrestling match uh, with somebody who is every bit at least as good as you and probably better and stronger. And you can do that for 
the night. It'll be all night long. So take your pick. I give you one. There are very few who would pick that physical struggle. We don't like struggles of almost any kind. That's why like, we're willing to order from Ikea, but part of the reason you don't want to go there is because it's too hard to put together. So it's kind of like, you know, the, 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 anything that requires real resources from us, real inner strength is something we don't usually gravitate toward, and yet it's not at the day spa that you get stronger. You feel better, but you're not stronger. You get stronger from struggle. Lifting weights, it's a struggle. In theory, if you're lifting them the right way, it should cause some sort of effort to take place. And you pick them up, and in the struggle to lift it from here to here, or to deadlift, or to do whatever it is, that's how you're getting stronger. It's in the process of doing that. If you decide, hey, I want my lungs to have a higher capacity, I'm going to learn to run. It's not in watching a video of somebody running that you become stronger. It's in the struggle to run till your lungs are burning and then pushing it a little bit further in doing it that you actually get to be stronger. In the spiritual realm, it's the same way. You don't get to be at the spiritual day spa all your life if you want to be stronger. God gives us plenty of free gifts. Even the righteous and the unrighteous, the Bible says the rain falls on both of them. God blesses people with some of the same things. The offer of eternal life through Christ is given to everybody. Um, there are all sorts of of gifts that God gives to us very freely, but then there are others that if you actually want to get better, if you want to get stronger, if you want to become wiser or more humble, that there's going to be a struggle involved. There are even times when God Himself might be the struggle or the one we struggle with. Human beings really love watching physical combat. We love it. Young boys and fathers and sons and all that, we love to arm wrestle each other to see who's stronger. Big brother, little brother, arm wrestle. Let's see who's stronger. Vegas, it's a boxing town. Texas loves its football. The Aussies, they love rugby. Canada, they like hockey. And not just because of the puck, but the, who doesn't love the part of hockey where everybody's smashing each other into the glass or dropping the gloves and fighting. Physical stuff. UFC, one of the fastest growing sports in the world. And then you have our own cultural icons. I put this slide together, and they're actually, I could have come up with tons more. But if I say Karate Kid or Daniel LaRusso or Cobra Kai, you know who I'm talking about. Right? Eagle Fang. That's right. <laughs> if you haven't seen Cobra Kai season three, you have no idea what we're talking about. But Eagle Fang's funny. You got Rocky and Mr. T. Rocky three. Now that Rocky Balboa is an American icon. You have Hulk Hogan. Uh, when I was a young man, I loved professional wrestling to the point I actually published a newsletter in the neighborhood and passed it around and I sold subscriptions. Made pretty good money at it, too. Hulk Hogan, the man. Who's the guy on the right? Muhammad Ali. Yeah, everybody knows who he is. You can call him Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali, but everybody knows who he is. All right. Why do we know who these people are? Because we are impressed by people who can physically dominate somebody else. And I could have gone and gone and gone with this. I could have put up Conor McGregor. I could have put up Gladiator from the movie Gladiator. I could have put up, you know, any number of wrestlers. You might have known who they were. Boxers, George Foreman, Joe Frazier, Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano, whoever, right? I could have kept going and going and going and going and going with this. It was hard to figure out. Okay, I could have gone for kids, Harry Potter. What, what part, what is impressive about Harry Potter is what he can do with his wand. 
It's not just that he's a cool-looking little dude, and then he goes to a cool little school named Hogwarts or whatever. It's not the educational part that kids love. It's the fact that kids who feel like they don't have any power see a kid who has all the power. He's, he can do magic. He can do all this stuff and physically make things move from here to there, make that go from here to there. He can stand up to Voldemort or whoever and, and, and do his thing. We admire people who struggle physically and come out on top. Now, then you have the schoolyard fight. I don't know if you remember, if you've been punched in the nose before, it's not a moment you forget easily. First time it happens, you remember. I remember, it was third grade. Hortensio Maraca, that was his name. Here's how it went down. We were playing kickball. I was smoking Hortensio. And we were actually friends. We would actually walk home. He was like, his house was halfway home to mine. Uh, and, and we would walk home. I was beating him bad. And he got mad at me and kicked me in the shin, like really hard. And in third grade, that feels like it hurts really bad, I guess. So I went down and I got so mad, I got up and I punched him in the nose. I know, exactly. Hey, 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 Christ has done a good work in me, right? But then, as soon as I level him, I turn around and his brother Lorenzo Maraca was standing right behind me. And all I see is a fist coming right at me and boom! And when you're hit in the face for the first time, it's a really special kind of feeling that you've never really had. It's like your eyes get all teary. Um, if, if they get you really good, you're going to hear a ringing in your ears. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's like this Really, it's, it's like having a toothache, but it's in your nose, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and then comes the blood on the face. I didn't like it. It hurt. And I resolved that I was not going to get any more fights. I got another one the next day. And often, throughout growing up, I'm kind of glad that it seems like at least at school, things are a little less violent than they were back in the day, but, but there were a lot of fights. And boy, do people love to gather. Oh, we love to gather when we see a good fight, don't we? When you hear the chant, fight, fight, fight. And then when you're like the little man on campus, you're just trying to get a peek. All the big people are always surrounding. There's a real tight little you know, circle around them. Everybody's encouraging them to keep going because we love those struggles. But we don't like being in them, do we? Not very much. Not with somebody who's actually trying to take our head off. We don't like it at all. We try to avoid it at all costs. So, what were to happen if on a night, it's the biggest night of your life as you've known it, you're terrified of what's coming the next day because you know you're going to encounter somebody who wants to kill you, but somebody gets there first. The night before, it, nobody's around. It's just you. You're getting ready for your big scrap the next day. You think that your brother, actually, that you're going to encounter might try to kill you. But instead, you turn around and there's somebody else there. It's the middle of the night. Nobody else around, and they want to scrap. And it turns out that whether it's an angel or whether it's God himself, they're not bad. They're pretty good. Well, that's what happened to, to Jacob. Now, Jacob is the weasel par excellence of the Old Testament. He is the guy that you don't want to invest your money with. Uh, he's not the guy that says, trust me. And you go, okay, Jacob is a weasel. 
He's a charlatan of sorts in the Scriptures. Let's go back to the beginning. Here's a 60-second tour of Jacob's life. Jacob is born as a twin brother to his older brother Esau. Esau is red and hairy, and he hunts things and kills things. Jacob is a very domestic young man. His mom loves him. He's a mama's boy. He's in the kitchen. He makes a pretty mean bowl of stew, apparently, uh, because his brother comes in from hunting things all day, and he's starving to death, even to the point of death. Give me that, some of that stew, or I will die. And Jacob says, I will. All you have to do is give me your birthright, which was not a small deal. That's like your inheritance plus uh, honor, privilege, uh, bearing the family name. A lot of stuff went with that birthright. But Esau says, you know what? I'm that hungry. Give me the stew. So he does. And just like that, Esau sells the priceless for something very cheap. But that doesn't mean Isaac is, gonna, is willing to give it to Jacob. So Jacob and his mama, Rebecca, they got to come up with a scheme to make this happen. They know Isaac's blind and maybe can't hear very well, but, but he's not stupid. So they say, we got to dress you up like Esau. So they cover him in goat's hair. I picture them, they didn't say this in the text, but I, I imagine his voice was a little higher than Esau's. And so I can picture him going into his dad saying, this is Esau. He's trying to seem like a manly man. Isaac's like, is that really you, Esau? Yeah, yeah, this is me. You know, he feels him and he, he feels the goat's hair and he goes, okay, that is Esau. So he gives him the blessing. So Jacob has kind of stolen it twice. Now, he and Esau were brothers. Jacob's name means heel grabber. That's a way of saying hustler, charlatan, weasel. He's living up to his name, isn't he? So he takes it. He realizes that Esau is about to get a little upset. Esau kills things for a living, so Jacob realizes one of those things could be me. So I'm packing up my stew kit, and I'm out of here. He packs it up. Out he goes, and he spends the next couple of, I mean, many decades on the run from Esau. He goes out. Sees a woman he's fond of. Says, I want to marry her. Her name's Rachel. He goes to her dad named Laban. Says, I want to marry her. He says, that's just fine. You're going to have to work for me seven years, though, first. So you're kind of like, yeah, Jacob's finally getting what's coming to him. So he works seven years. The wedding day comes. I don't know if the limousine pulled up. They probably didn't have those in those days. But if it had, he would have pulled up, opened the limo, and inside is a different woman. Who's this? It's Leah, her older sister. So he goes back to Laban. I'm sorry, I said Rachel, not Leah. He says, oh, Rachel. Well, you have to take the older daughter first. If you want Rachel, you're going to have to work another seven years. So he says, okay. Now, at this point of the narrative, you realize I couldn't be more thrilled to watch somebody get swindled than Jacob. After all, Captain Stu, Captain Fool, your old dad who's blind and can barely hear, Steal the birthright from your older brother? Serves him right. So he marries Rachel, takes off. Mad success out there. He's got flocks. He's got herds. He's got money. He's kind of gotten away with it. Cost him 14 years of work, but he got there. So he's out there, and then he finally hears from his comrades around him. Esau is just on the other side. Esau. Oops. Uh-oh. I wonder if he's still mad. Yeah, he's mad. And he kills things for a living. Well, here's what we're going to do. And so he immediately goes into damage control. He says, I'm going to take about half of you. Give him the flocks. Give him the, uh, this many goats and this many sheep and this many this. And you know what? Uh, you know what? Let's, 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 let's pray too. And so he comes together with everybody and he starts praying. And basically the, the prayer goes like this. God 
Make Esau nice because he's probably mad. Help me survive this. So he sends people out in front of him, flocks, herds, goats, an offering so that by the time that Esau works his way to Jacob, he'll be worn down. He'll be feeling gracious like Jacob is honored with a bunch of the, giving back a bunch of the property and stuff he stole. So the night before, Jacob's prayed. He sent everybody out before him and he's back at the camp by himself. And he's nervous about meeting his brother the next day. And he turns around. And there's somebody that wants to fight. I imagine Jacob could have said, do you like stew? I'm really good with stew. You know, and offered that to him. But he, he wasn't in that mood. Here's what the text says happens. Genesis 32, 22 to 32. It says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It kind of sounds like say uncle, right? He's got him at a, giving him a noogie or something. And he says, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And he says, uh, the man asked, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome. Jacob then turns to him and says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. All right, well, who's this, who's this stranger? Who's this wrestler that comes and picks a fight with good old Jacob here? Well, the word that's used in Hebrew is ish. It just means man. It's the most generic word for man you can imagine. Dude, a guy. But it seems pretty clear that Jacob seems to think that he's encountered God and survived. It, if it is God, it's not God in his fullness. We know that God in his fullness, even looking at him, will kill people. So much less if you decided you were going to scrap. You know, Jacob's 97 here. I really doubt that he's much of a physical threat to God himself. And then when you go to the fact that toward the end, when a daybreak is coming and, the, and this uh, angelic being or whoever it is wants it to end, he just touches his hip socket and his hip flies out of the socket. So it doesn't seem like there's really a physical struggle going on. In the book of Hosea, the prophet will talk about this incident and he'll say that Jacob wrestled with an angel. I think that's probably a better way to look at it. Angel is an emissary of God. So when Jacob says he struggled with God, he's not struggling with like literal big G, the man, God. He's struggling with one of God's people, messenger. Clarence and George Bailey, and it's a wonderful life, something like that. Not so much Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan, it's those guys. So I just want to take a few details and pull them out. Now remember, what we talked about last week is when you read the Bible, don't start with yourself. Go back, you try to figure out Okay, what did it mean to them? Because it's rare that it can mean for us what it never meant for them. Okay? 
So when you interpret the Bible, you want to go back, what did it mean for them? How did they understand this incident? What meaning did they find in it? And then we get and we build the bridge over to everyday life. So uh, with that in mind, let's, let's come up with a few little tidbits among the details, and then the sermon will be yours. Number one, Jacob. He's an old man when this happens. We're never too old for a wrestling match when it comes to um, the kingdom of God. It's easy for people to think that because they've been at this a while, spiritually speaking, I was raised in the church. I've been a pastor for 25 years. Are you kidding me? I'm, you know, whatever. I mean, we've got some people in their 90s in this room right now. Okay, because I've been at it this long, there's no reason that I should have to do that. Well, God doesn't stop wrestling with us as we get older. He often wrestles with us more. Jacob ends up in this wrestling match here. Uh, he, he can hardly be considered a physical challenge to an angel. I mean, unless it's the weakest angel ever in the history of heaven, like to the point that you know, almost pictured that angel sitting around going, uh, look at this guy, he's so weak. I bet he could even beat Jacob in a fight. Oh, yes, I could. Yes, I could. All right, go down and see what it's like. And so maybe that's what happened. I don't know. You don't get the sense that that's really what took place. But instead, before, as Jacob prays that God will prepare him to meet Esau, God doesn't send him to the day spa. He sends him to the struggle. He shows up in some form, either by sending one of his angels or him himself in some sort of different form, and says, okay, I'm going to get you ready for Esau. Esau. And by the time it's done, Jacob has wrestled all night long and is walking with a limp. How does that get him ready for Esau? It's found in the blessing that he's given, the name change that he's given. That's what he needed. Jacob, you're blessed because I'm blessing you. You had to steal it from your father. But I'm blessing you. I'm changing your name. And it's that wrestling act that leads to growth. That's number two. Grappling leads to growth. Grappling is just a fancy word for wrestling. If you're not, if you don't know what grappling means. The wrestling itself is what leads to the growth. All Jacob really does here is hold on. But isn't it true that sometimes holding on and finishing is actually how you win? Y'all remember Rocky won? Rocky Balboa, this kind of collector for the mob in Philadelphia, gets kind of picked out of a hat because he's supposed to be an easy win for Apollo Creed. And they say, all right, I'll get this, this meathead here, and he'll fight you. Well, Rocky just operates on a totally different level. And he goes through and has... I mean, is absolutely crushed for 12 solid rounds. Nobody had ever gone the distance with Apollo Creed. And he gets to the end, and it's technically a draw, and he doesn't get the championship, but we all know Rocky won. Because finishing was the win. Those who've run a marathon, does it really matter if they beat the Kenyan first-place runner? Not really. It's kind of impressive that they can just run 26 miles, isn't it? No matter how long it takes them. One of the things that's impressive about people with a lot of education sometimes is, is not that they're that much smarter than people. It's just that it shows that they finished things for a very long time. They went to a lot of school. And they kept going. And they finished. So when you 
look at the struggle that goes on here. Jacob isn't so physically dominant of the angel that, you know, he licks him. It's not it at all. You almost get the sense he's like riding a bucking bronco, and he happens to be there. He happens to be, uh, you know, kind of wrestling with this guy, and it ends up being a, a, a deal where he's half off the horse. By the time it's done, his hip is out of joint, but he's struggling, and he's fighting, and he hangs on. And that that right there, that struggle itself is what makes Jacob less of a hustler, more of one who strives with God and overcomes. And so his name gets changed. Now, going back and asking the original question, it's not really about Jacob. It's not really about the identity of the angelic being he's wrestling with, or they'd probably identify him. Say, that was an angel. His name was, you know, uh, Michael or Gabriel or something. Uh, And that's who he fought. But that's not really the point. Whenever the Bible doesn't identify things and circumstances, how old were they? It means it probably doesn't matter. The focus of this story is on the name change of Jacob, and when you read before and after, the transformation of Jacob from the heel-grabbing twin brother who's willing to, oh, swindle his brother, swindle his father, be self-sufficient, you know, he's willing to game the system, do whatever he can do, (laughs) you know, GameStop stock his way through stuff, Right? He's going he's gonna to do what he has to do to get Jacob done. And he really doesn't care about anybody else. He goes from that guy to the one who wrestles with God and overcomes. And we learn then that God is willing to bear with Jacob. For 97 years, he bears with Jacob a flawed person and is willing to get his own hands dirty. He doesn't just go, Jacob, been there, done that. That even if it takes a long time, and even if it takes God either sending an angel or or him himself reducing himself to somebody who he can wrestle with, he's not done with people just because they haven't been righteous for a very, very long time. And so when Jacob asks God to get him ready for the Esau incident, God says, (laughs) I imagine him going, you sure? Because here's what it's going to look like. You and I... We're going to square off for a while. And when it's done, you're going to walk with a limp. How do you get ready for Esau with your hip out of the joint? I need to be ready to fight. No, you don't. No, you don't. You need to be changed in here. You don't need to be just physically stronger. You need to be spiritually stronger than you've been, Jacob. You've been the hustler. Now I'm going to make you the overcomer. And so his name gets changed. Maybe that's point three. God can change your name. You know, we, we rarely these days um, make much of a name. I mean, it's kind of cool when parents name their baby and all that. I've done that three times, and it was sweet and special, and it's hard for me to imagine them with a different name. But we don't really do it the way. In, in biblical times, your name meant a lot. Um, you may remember in the story of Ruth, Naomi's name means pleasant, and then she says after losing a lot, losing her husband or sons, she says, ah, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, for I'm bitter. Interestingly, her son's name were Milan and Kilion, and it means sick and dying. It's called foreshadowing in, in the Bible. So the names have symbolism, significance. Jacob's called heel grabber like a leech 
a hustler. And he changes it to Israel. Israel. And God's people will be named after Jacob. But he changes his name. In our world, we wear labels. I'm a teacher. I'm a realtor. I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. And then there are the other ones, the ones you can't wash off, the ones you don't want, those labels. Oh, she's loose. She's a harlot. Promiscuous. He's a drunkard. I'm divorced. I'm single. Never married. Ones that people don't necessarily wear with big badge of honor or pride. Ones that they use to identify themselves and frame themselves in a particular way. But God isn't, isn't content to let us wear those names. The story of Jacob says that we are who God says we are. We're not even who our parents say we are. We're who God says we are. And so for those of us who still wrestle in the darkness at times with God or with others, it's, it's taking off that name. It's, it's saying, you know what, I used to be, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, gang member, sinner, um, addict. I mean, fill in the blank. You probably know what your label has been. And God's saying, yeah, I know what your label has been. But I'm changing your name. I'm going to change your name. Years ago, there was a, a woman who huffed into a church office. She was upset. She was upset because they just made a new hire. The new hire was a young man who had lived a pretty worldly life. And she was mad. She was mad the church hired him. So she came in. She asked to speak to the preacher. Preacher came in. And I mean, she went up one side of him and down the other. About what a poor example it was going to set for others to have him on the staff. To... to I mean, what are other, I mean, think about all the young, young people that look up to him. They're all going to go maybe think, okay, it's okay if I live that kind of double life. What are we doing hiring? We should be hiring good people. We should be hiring people that role model Jesus. We shouldn't be, you know, hiring these kind of people. The kid had just been asked to answer the phones. And wasn't asked to be like the, the preacher or something. Well, she goes on this tirade. Right on the other side of a little cubicle wall was the young man who, who had heard everything that she said about him. Right. Didn't feel good, I'm sure. Well, when it's over, the preacher goes behind the cubicle to the young man, puts his arm around him, and says, don't listen to her. I know that's not who you are. And I'm glad he did, because I kept going in ministry. And I'm now in the Ritz Theater preaching to you today. See, you're not, you're not who they say you are. You're who he says you are. And that identity is given to you as part of the beautiful struggle and beautiful fight of what it means to become Israel instead of the hustler. 
instead of whoever you were. So picture yourself with labels, right, down one side of you. Ugly, dumb, you know, uh, greedy, ill-tempered, mean, dorky, whatever, whatever label you pick, you know your label. A label is not a name. God doesn't do labels. God does names. And your name matters. Your labels. Well, the blood of Jesus peels those right off. But names, names got to come from him. Your own parents can't even give you that. I'm not talking about the name, your actual name. The one that Jacob gets here is not a name that Isaac could have given him. God had to give it to him. You are not Jacob. I know that's the name your parents gave you. You're not Jacob. You're Israel now. You're Israel because you strove with God and you overcame. So when you read the story, it's not really a story about Jacob doing anything of his own volition to do anything. In fact, frankly, he probably would have dodged this incident if he had any choice in the matter. It's probably why, I mean, he'd run his whole life. But in this case, God's not content to let him run away again. God says, I'm going to show up and, and we're, going to, we're going to work this out tonight before you go into your big battle with Esau. And then what's amazing is the next day, Jacob kind of starts going back to his own ways. And he takes basically, he's like, here's like eight wives and 40 goats and, and a bunch of sheep and see if Esau is happy with that or whatever. And Esau comes out to him and he sees him and he runs to meet him and they embrace I thought Esau killed things. Well, he's not necessarily all his labels either. And they reconcile. And Esau says, seeing your face was like seeing the face of God. And he says, take all these goats and sheep. And he goes, I have plenty. He's like, take them anyway. He's like, I'm fine. Please take them. Like he's feeling guilty or something. He's like, please take them. And he's like, no, I'm good. And then Jacob said, and then Esau's like, hey, let's basically like, let's be brothers again. And Jacob's like, hey, no, uh, you know what? We're good. I'm going to go over here into this thing. And he said, well, let me send some men with you at least to protect you. I mean, you can't fight the people that are out there with stew, brother. <laughs> you know, uh, let me send some people. And he's like, no, no, no. And he's like, please, I insist, take them. And so Esau actually sends him with help. But in that story, you see a lot of labels being peeled off, right? So think about your own story. Think about the stories of the people that you know, the people that you label. The people you look at and you say, hey, you know what? They're weak. They're ugly. They're stupid. They're dorky. They're mean. All they do is hurt people. Yada, 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 yada. You never know. You never know how God is going to take somebody from a Jacob to an Israel. And if you're a Christian, that's the hope of the gospel. That your name can go from being wounded, devastated, to overcomer. It can go from being, you know, <laughs> take it, finding your identity in something like the fact that, that you've been divorced three times. God does stuff with people like that all the time. 
Oh, but you don't understand. My life is a mess. I've, I've, I've ruined my life eight times over. My kids hate me. My, I have nobody in my life anymore. It's okay. God can change your name. Now, in order for that to happen, there's usually a struggle. But if you're willing to grapple with God, He will change your name. That's the promise of the gospel. Right now, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, we do it every week here at New Vintage, and it's a time where we get to reflect. Uh, you should have gotten a little bag with some bread and juice on the inside. If you didn't and you'd like one, just put your hand in the air. We've got some ushers coming down, and they'll be happy to. Uh, We've got some over here. <clears throat> um, what we're going to do is I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pray, and then as the music's being sung, you can just go ahead and take, take it uh, at whatever point you'd like. But what you're doing and the reason the church has done this forever is, A, Jesus asked us to do it in remembrance of him. But also, uh, it's a great time to be able to reflect and do it something together that expresses a common commitment to following the way of God and, and our Lord Jesus Christ. So now maybe think about, are there labels that need to be peeled off this morning that God can take off? Maybe it's about holding on and struggling and waiting for them for God to bless you with a new name. So this morning I'd like to pray for us and let you do some reflection. And it may be that there's somebody else in your heart too that God puts there and says, you know, I want to pray for my mom or my dad or my sister, brother, friend, whoever, and they've just been carrying around this shame for so long that God would give them the ability to let it go. They would let him change their name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with bread and cup now, we express our faith in you and what you've done, what you can do. And Father, for taking us from darkness to light, for changing our names from <laughs> wounded, ashamed, weak, uh, fragile, worldly, fleshly, addict, whatever father that our former names were and taking them and instead putting redeemed over us victorious overcomer father for those who are struggling i i pray that you give them the strength to hold on uh, and that includes father anybody no matter how old they are how long they've been in the faith or how long they've been out in the world and don't understand what you're trying to do in their life father we ask this morning that you grapple with them. And when it's done, Father, that they'll be changed forever, that they may walk with a bit of a limp for a while, but they will come out changed with a new name. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.